Dan, I got to tell you what, I think the Woodhounds podcast has elevated itself. It's turned a corner. Oh, well, really? Nice. I think I think it has. I, I was re-listening to our episode last week where we interviewed Professor John Pastor and his newly published book about the white pine. And I mean, that was, that was a great episode. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it was interesting. And, and I think it was well received because it's one of the highest uh, listened to and downloaded episodes we've had. That is really cool to hear. And I think there's still a lot about the book and the white pine. I think that you and me could probably still talk about. But if I can be selfish here for a second, the the fact that a a, a real <laughs> live and in-person author found us credible enough to sit down with us and discuss a, a book that he had written that took him two years to write it, I think, that, didn't he say it, two years? Yeah, it was a, it was a long time. Yeah, I, I just think that that puts us, the Woodhounds podcast, I mean, it gives us gives us legitimacy we're not just two guys that are just babbling <laughs> babbling <laughs> well, uh, incoherently about our hobbies well we, we we might still be that on occasion but but yes <laughs> i i agree that having a a guest like john on to talk about his book it was it was both interesting i think for our audience but then just on a personal level again not to be selfish like you were saying but i just really enjoyed sitting here talking with him and and then Dan, I was laughing because you had said about uh, the episode you had learned a new word, <laughs> and I was I just thought it was funny because I was like, well, what the heck was it? Was it about ecology or, or you know, fascicle? I think he used the word about the the leaves, and you said no, the word emeritus. <laughs> yes, the, the, the title. yeah, John, John the Pastor, title. yeah, <laughs> Professor Emeritus, which um, which means he's retired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but John, it was kind of funny. He says, well, it's, you know, but when you're an, emer an emeritus, you have to apply for that and it gets you a free parking spot. <laughs> yeah, I I had no idea. I don't even know if I'd ever heard that word before. So, yes, yeah, big takeaways. <laughs> yeah, and I thought what it spoke um, a lot to me was, you know, here's a guy who's retired. You know, he's on the, the tail end of his career, but he's still passionate. And he's, yeah. he's publishing books about the things that he finds passionate, that what he wakes up for in the morning. And then when you heard him telling the stories of what the white pine meant to him personally, from his childhood through his relationship with his dad and his brother, that was, that was, a, that was intense. Yes. I really like that. Yeah. And, and I can appreciate just the fact like you had mentioned how he, you know, he studied, he researched, he worked on this book for two years, you know, just the time putting in, I don't know, for me, that that's a long time. I'm, I'm struggling to work on something for a day. <laughs> <laughs> like a certain carport that you're building yes. in your backyard. Huh? <laughs> Could, yeah. Are you saying that you wouldn't take uh, two years of research before you sit down at your desk and start typing it out yeah <laughs> yeah i think you've I been would into just, it a few days and now you're worn out right i i think i would just get distracted or you know move on to something else or i'd get sidetracked but just having that focus and dedication to put into 
um, a book about just a single tree, just one yeah. tree, the white pine. And he's retired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know if the word retirement means anything to me yet, but um, I you know I had spent some time in the in the scholarly environment in graduate school, and I've you know rubbed elbows with some professors that I worked for and all, and I just know how hard they work, and you know they are just deep into their subject matter. It's just what their life passion. And they're very well read and everything. And you think that there comes a time and a place where you say, okay, I'm going to go, go to the beach. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here's this guy, you know, he's still walking through the woods. He's finding inspiration. He's studying. He's, and then, you know, I read the book um, and it's not just about the ecology and how it grows and how it supports ecosystems or what he was calling a foundational American tree. But I mean, he gets into the history talking about the revolution and bunk bunker Hill. I never knew about the, the new England flag that was at bunker Hill. It was a, a flag with a white pine on it. Yeah. And, and just the use of it. Like I never thought or knew that they would be used for like the ship's masts, like for, you know, sailing for, for, uh, navies and battleships and all that stuff. I mean, I, I didn't, I mean, I knew that it was, was fascinating, wood, but, but not white pine. Yeah. When I uh, read about the uh, Cornwallis's surrender at Yorktown, <laughs> that, you know, when you think of all of the circumstances and happenstance that goes into a battle or a, you know, a battle of a war, and and here it came down to the the colonists from securing the white pine from the king and, and the British Navy <laughs> that it came down to the the British not being able to update or replace worn out masts on their warships. Yeah. <laughs> or they were coming to bail out Cornwallis, who was painted into a corner at, at Yorktown. All of the British ships their masts snapped on them because they were old and brittle and they had no <laughs> they, no one they had no new ones to replace it because the yeah because we had them all we had them all but you know i'm serious had these ships been able to get there they would could have they would have probably gotten there ahead of the french navy or everything could have just been different yeah totally. that could have been just enough to get you know cornwallis uh bailed out but here yep. we are yeah, yeah. Here we are. A, yeah. So uh, the book, if you're listening to this podcast, guys, this book is written by Professor John Pastor, and we'll put all of the information in the uh, episode notes down below. The name of the book is called White Pine, The Natural and Human History of a Foundational American Tree, and it's published by Island Press. And I think John had said that if you are interested in purchasing the book, you can go to the Island Press website, and I think there's a discount on it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Dan, the other thing that I found interesting was you're pretty – I didn't realize how much of – how prevalent the white pine is in your neck of the woods. Oh, I, yeah. I was interested to hear how you talked about it. I mean, you you know a lot already. Well, that was – well, that was where – I was interested in hearing about the foundations it had on in the effects on like the forest itself. But yeah, where I 
grow up where I grew up here and where I'm from, Eau Claire, like the the nickname this city has is a sawdust city because yeah. it was built around uh, sawmills milling up white pines and sending all the lumber down to Missouri that then went out west. So like all of the, the you know, the movement, the expansion of everyone moving across the country, the, a lot of the stuff was built with white pine and the white pine came out of the Northwoods and Eau Claire is situated on a the river that runs down and that's how they would deliver the logs and the lumber. Yeah, wasn't that shocking to hear too? Because when I think of the white pine, I think of Maine. And that <laughs> and that professor pastor said that the the Chippewa and what's the other river that the other valley up the Saint Croix. Uh, yep. Yeah, that those two valleys produced seven times more board feet of lumber than the entire state of Maine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, it it was amazing. And that's like, I had never thought of white pine out in Maine. I have only thought of it as, you know, here in what we call the North Woods of Wisconsin in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah, just unbelievable amounts of lumber, board feet of lumber came out of Eau Claire here. Yeah, I was real serious about the effect that the book had on me and exposing me to the white pine. Because I, I know what the tree is. I have them in my on my land here. And I remember when I first started developing an interest in trees, I was looking at it because the white pine doesn't have those those needle kind of where you can like pierce your skin with them, you know? Uh, yep. they're just kind of they're kind of floppy. And I remember Googling it to see what the heck kind of a pine this is. And I was like, oh, they're white pine. So I have uh I said I have two in my front yard, but I know I got more in the back that I, I don't really see a lot of, but these two that sit out front, you know, we drive by them all the time. And I just see it now differently because when I think of trees, you know, I, I don't know if, if this is like harsh to say, but I just kind of lump all of the pines in together. It doesn't matter if it's spruce <laughs> or, you know, yep. I, it's just, it's just pine probably because I'm a firewooder. Yeah. And, you know, when I think of trees, I'm thinking of, you know, the big four, oak, ash, cherry, maple, and then there's elm, yeah, locust. You're, you're not beech. looking at it from the point of like lumber and building things. You're looking at it as what burns the best. <laughs> and pine is definitely not something you probably want to burn for heat. <laughs> yeah. I remember my last tangle with pine firewood. It was a neighbor from my dad's old neighborhood he knew i was in the firewood and he called me up and he's a very nice very nice man elderly guy and he says hey i we cut down a tree um you want to come get the wood and you know, just because he's a friend you know the answer is yes <laughs> so i drove out there and and it's pine you know oh. and i it's i'm serious i had to throw my gloves away when i was done loading <laughs> it into my truck it's just a mess yep <laughs> and, and I don't know what it is with pine too, but I've never found pine to split easy. It's kind of a wood that would swallow your, your wedge sometimes. Well, it just, it, yeah, there's, there's like, and that's where I've, I've actually split up quite a bit of white pine. And if you split between the sections where there's branches, like the branch unions. So like, uh -huh. you know, you kind of have these rings where like you'll go up a tree and then 
the branches will all go out and then you go another maybe foot or two and there's another group sure. of branches. So I will, what I do is I cut in between those sections and then that wood just splits super easy, super clean. But huh. if you get by those knots where the branches are and yeah, you have some tough splitting wood. Yeah. Very, very knotty. Now my parents are from West Virginia and we, when we go down there, there's this one area, it's near the snowshoe ski resort. It's called Spruce and uh, the Cass Railroad, where it, it was an old logging town. And they had logged out all of the, you know, mostly the spruce trees out of there. And that's what I think of when I think of pine. I think of those jabby needle kind of oh, trees. Yeah. That you could probably like, you know, sew needle and thread with them because they're so <laughs> uh, uh, violently sharp. But uh, the white pine, uh, I was I was interested when I saw that I had a white pine on my land, and then when I stumbled upon this book, um, I was uh, I was just blown away. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone out there, if you guys find any of this remotely interesting, I think this might be the book for you because it has everything in it. If you're interested in science, you know, with um, the the role that it plays in the forest. And the water, you know, the, the water table or what was it? The rivers, how yep. it had an effect on, on the rivers when it was harvested out. Or if you have an, just an interesting look at history in American history, the formation of the country, I think this might be the book for you. Yeah, it, it, it sounds, I, I haven't read it, but just talking with John, it sounds like it, it would definitely be interesting to to go through and you know that's one of the things like my neighbors up here they have uh down their driveway they have white pine and they're huge i mean huge trees yeah. and when you think about it, you're like oh geez i wonder how you know how that tree you know has made it this long and you know way back when all the logging was happening like that tree probably wasn't even planted yet or even hadn't started growing and then the logging stopped around here and that gave those trees, you know, the second, what is it, second growth or whatever they call it sometimes when forests yeah. have been logged. And But, yeah, we have white pines up here that are 100 feet tall and, you know, three, four feet diameters. They're just huge and just massive, massive tree. Yeah. It was also interesting to hear him talk about forest management and the problems. You know, it's just not something that you can just do because – you know, it has to be focused on the, the economics of it because you have to pay people to do it. Yep. And you don't make your money for a long time. And that made me think of that too, because I was in Finland where their forests are largely managed, where I think in Finland, you can't just go cut down trees and harvest them. You have to develop and execute a, a, uh, a plan to replant, to reforest. And then over there, I know they even have machines that plant saplings, but the forests are just gorgeous because all the trees are kind of like in straight rows and the way they have them, they have them spaced optimally so that they grow straight and tall. And I don't know if that day will ever come here in the States where it's a, a legitimate focus, you know, instead of just a, a quilt work of some people that do and some people that don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that all of that, I just find all that interesting. The other irony is, is here we are firewooders, and it firewood in an ironic way has made me appreciate 
trees uh, <laughs> in a way that I, I never did before. I think you see that with hunters where they develop this appreciation of, of deer or whatever their game yep, is. Totally. Yeah. You know, where they do take an interest in, in, um, developing the, this, their, their, um, uh, their hobby through conservation, you know? Yep. So yeah, I, it, all of that was just uh, interest. I'm glad that we were able to talk about this after this interview. We did the same thing when Harry Watt was on. We we spent an episode <laughs> reflecting on our lessons of the day. Yeah, and, and I think the part of that, like the forest management part that was interesting is I think the white pine doesn't grow as fast as like red pine or yellow pine. And I think that's where the white pine is kind of getting, you know, pushed to the back as far as what types of trees they want to have in the forest when they do a managed forest. And so that's another interesting aspect of it is, you know, here you have this great iconic tree, but now because it doesn't grow fast enough to keep up with, you know, managing forests and getting the economical value out of it, it's kind of like yeah. put on the back burner and not, you know, not put in the place that it should be where it's, it's an iconic tree of, you know, history of the country. Yeah. And it definitely reflected his upbringing and his life. Cause he said, even when he lived in New Jersey, his, he lived in Northern New Jersey, which was still on the Southern border of the North woods. Yeah. And his and dad built, were, built the house yeah. with white pine, built the furniture with white pine, put the siding with white, pine. everything yeah. that was hidden in his upbringing his bed, was white yeah. pine. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and that's one of those childhood things too, you know, where you just smell something. Yeah. And, and it takes you back. Like I got, I was at my, um, my niece's house, her, her daughter has her crayons out and I just get a whiff of crayons and I'm back in kindergarten <laughs> you know, just from smelling something like that. It's amazing. <laughs> the role that your, <laughs> your, uh, your, your sense of smell has your flashbacks to getting cracked on the head by a ruler. <laughs> from the teacher <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i was a bad kid in school i uh i re i refused to go out to recess i would tell the teacher i say look i don't play <laughs> <laughs> oh my oh my <laughs> Ta -doon, yeah rim shot yeah so dan i just thought that um i I just had a blast and I'm just proud of the Woodhounds podcast and I'm uh, proud to be associated with you and that this brand here is allowing us to cross paths with some very interesting people, important yeah. people. Well, I am glad that you read books because without you having read this book, we would have never <laughs> gone down this path of, you know, reaching out to the author and getting him on the show here. And so, so Joe, thank you for being uh, literate. Yes. In, well, thank in you. Readings. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's crazy how all these things come together. Just, you know. Yeah. That's what uh, I've always been a person who reads books. So I, uh, I've noticed as I've gotten older, my retention isn't as, as good as it has like some of the books that i read when i was younger i still just have you know characters and um personalities and famous quotes locked into my brain just because of maybe the 
uh, how old I was when I read it. But now when you get older, I don't know. My retention isn't as good as it used to be. I can talk hmm. to you about Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye and uh, Elmer Gantry was drunk. The first sentence of one of my favorite novels, Elmer Gantry. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't know. A lot of the books that I've read since then, I don't have as much recollection of them. I got to go back and, and revisit them. But I don't know. The White Pine. Uh, there's some certain sections on here uh, that, are, that are burned into my brain, like Yorktown. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Well, yeah, because you're great. you're you're a big history buff too, so that that's kind of mel- yeah, melted together. Yeah, I think that's there is something about history. You know, there's always you know, the dates and the facts and stuff, but then when you see history from a different vantage point, you know, like we all know about Cornwallis and Yorktown and General Washington, but did we know about the role that the White Pine played? I just yeah. find that fascinating, and it just enriches your appreciation of it. Right. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, that, that's one of the things that, you know, like you had mentioned, you never would have thought maybe something like that played a role in impacting yeah. how things turned out. Before the Boston Tea Party, there was the White Pine Riots. Yeah. yeah it was the, <laughs> the precursor to the big show, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Well, Dan, I, um, I didn't want to take up a lot of your time. I saw that you've been icing down your your elbow and your wrist from driving all of those self-tapping screws. Yeah, we'll and... have to maybe talk about that <laughs> in an upcoming episode, the, the VersaTube carport. I, I'm just dying to hear about this. I'm actually very impressed. It's it's really been something that I, I was I was I had kind of my doubts and how easy it would be, but it's, <laughs> uh-huh. it's pretty easy. You think it is? And it's it's just the way things are engineered, like you you know everything slides together, and then the brackets you need to put on can only kind of go in certain spots. So you, there's not a lot of you know measuring, and uh-huh. but you do have to drive in a lot of screws. And that's where all <laughs> the work is, huh? Yeah, just the work and the time the time it takes. Uh huh. I mean, I think they look cool, but I don't know if I would have the. <laughs> Like, am I going to sit down and write a two, a novel after researching it for two years? <laughs> Probably not. Can I um, have a VersaTube carport built in a weekend? A weekend is that is that realistic? Well, it, By yourself? it is, but it just depends on how hard you want to. You know how <laughs> how hard you want to push yourself. <laughs> your mind says the heck with it before your body does. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I was I was going at a nice easy pace. I wasn't pushing myself, but it did get to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, how many more of these screws do I gotta drive in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I still have more to do. I still have to a bunch more to do. So did all those screws come in this gigantic bag? No. So that's the other fun part. There's like they come in <laughs> bags of I think like fifty, maybe. Maybe uh-huh. a little more. So like, yeah. You should have weighed how much weight there is just in the screws. All of a sudden, you're like halfway through putting in what you need for the one section. You got to go open another little bag. And then you go, all of a sudden that bags. Then you got to go get another bag. And it's just, oh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but like I said, I am still, I'm not, I'm saying I'm impressed with 
how easy it is, how structurally sound it seems. I mean, it's it's a heck of a building. That's great. And it's made in Memphis, Tennessee, where I used to live. Yeah, and, and the I mean, the cost was not bad. So, yeah, we'll have to discuss that all on another episode. Yeah, let's table yeah, this discussion until, yes. uh, until we get this done. And then yeah. you can tell me if you would do it again. <laughs> oh, I think I know what you're going to be getting at there. Would you do this again if you came down for a weekend for a second open house at the Ohio Woodburner Yard? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the second time you do something, you're always a lot better at it. Yeah. Well, I tell you, if we had Shibe, if we did get together down at your place and you had it, we, we could get it done in a weekend. No problem. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring my lawn chair and my umbrella. <laughs> and some water. A water. Yeah. Not some water. Just bring a water. <laughs> How about a water? <laughs> no, I'm no, I'm good. Thanks. So. <laughs> oh, All right. Well, everyone. All right. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, yeah, like I said, the numbers were up on that White Pine episode. So if you haven't listened to it, Go back through the playlist and check that one out on any and all podcasting platforms. Well, Dan, how about let's uh, strike up the band? Can you do that? Yes, we can. The band is striking. Thanks, everyone, for (laughs) tuning in. (laughs) And uh, we'll see you right back here next week on the number one firewood podcast in the world. You took the words right out of my mouth. Thanks, everyone, for making the Woodhounds the number one firewood podcast podcast in the world and we want to wish (laughs) and we want to tell everyone to be cool and stay fun (laughs) and read a book (laughs) (laughs) and have a great day